Hello, and welcome to the Metacast Crypto Corner brought to you by Novik. I'm your host, Nico Vori. Today, our topic concerns the Web3 marketing stack, and specifically how woefully inadequate it currently is. In Web2, the marketing stack is rich in every area that matters. Uh, when a marketer wants to spend on a game, they have many places to do it. They can scale budget up, they can scale budget down just as needed. They have the tools to measure how effective the spend is by channel. They can measure revenue events and other downstream activity in uh, lots of different ways for days, weeks, months, even years sometimes after the initial conversion. Um, they have the analytics tools to segment and understand their player personas, and they can effectively target these users across a wide variety of channels that serve particular niches. Incredibly accurate LTV models can be built from the data available, and ROAS, return on ad spend, can be calculated even on a long time horizon. And yet, none of this is true in Web3. None at all. The anonymity, the pseudonymity, and the structure of Web3, the decentralization, the decentralized nature of Web3 makes segmentation and understanding of personas hard, if not impossible. And while everything on-chain is, by default, completely transparent and open, um, having the wallet and the tokens it contains be the primary identifier is severely limiting. So, today we have three guests who can shed light on every part of the current Web3 marketing stack and how it compares to Web2. Uh, so I'll introduce the first one here. He's a friend of the pod, Quinn Campbell. Quinn is the VP of growth at Sky Mavis, which, of course, as I'm sure we all know, is the developer behind the 800-pound gorilla uh, of Web3 games, which is Axie Infinity. Uh, Quinn has been on an episode before with uh, the other Nico, or Nico, uh, back in August, uh, where they talked about publishing in UA, and it was a great episode. So Quinn, I'm excited to have you back. Welcome to the pod. Thanks, Nico. Great to be back here. Awesome. Our second guest, Justin Vogel. Uh, he is the co-founder of Safari, with a Y. Uh, Safari is trying to solve the problem of attribution in Web3, uh, which is the ability to accurately track how effective your spend is by channel and what your ROI or ROAS really is. Uh, Justin, welcome to the pod. Thanks. Super excited to be here. Great. And then finally, our third guest, Warren Woodward. Warren is the co-founder of Uptick, U-P-P-T-I-C. And by the way, uh, all of these uh, companies, all of these links are going to be in the show notes. So don't worry if you miss something. We're going to link out to those uh, as always. And Uptick is a Web3 growth marketing agency um, that is trying to solve problems for clients in Web3 that we're talking about here. Um, and I believe Axia is a client. I believe Quinn and Warren have worked together. Uh, so we're going to have a really great conversation here, I think, um, about how to scale automate marketing spend and how to do that attribution piece so that you can accurately do that spend in a way that actually isn't wasteful. All right, Warren, welcome to the pod. Yeah, my pleasure. Really excited to be here with a few of my favorite people and to, uh, to work with you for the first time, Nico. I'm sure you'll be awesome. one of my favorite people after, right, directly after the class. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we'll be fast friends, just like uh, in, in Web3. That does seem to happen. You know, we're all sharing the pain. And so you know, shared pain brings, brings a sense of community. Um, okay, well, with that out of the way, introductions out of the way, let's dive into today's episode. We have a lot to cover, um, but we have the best possible crew here to, to cover it. So I'm going to start um, with kind of an existing practices question, like what are we currently doing? And I think Quinn is absolutely the best to answer that. Um, so Quinn, um, Axia is probably the biggest, if not the biggest, then one of the biggest uh, Web3 gaming marketers out there. It's, it's big at the very least. Let's put it that way. Um, can, can you tell our listeners in as much detail as you're comfortable sharing um, how you guys are currently doing your user acquisition, how you're growing, how you're marketing? What are the tools that you're using? Um, and then really importantly, what are the biggest gaps that you see 
in your marketing stack, especially as it compares to Web 2. I, I know you did mobile growth in the past. Um, so you have a really good comparison point for something that's got a very mature stack versus a very immature stack. Uh, over to you, Quinn. Yeah, I, I think hearing that intro that you gave at the beginning, um, where you kind of described how rosy it is in Web 2, right, just made me yearn for like maybe 18 months from now, 24 months from now, when, when the Web 3 kind of growth tech stack is, is fully in place. But it, it's tough right now. Um, it, it's, a, it, it, it's a lot of kind of hacking together what we can from Web 2 and then, and then just figuring out ways to make it work, right? Um, so I think, right, if, if we're thinking about how Axie really grows, right, it, maybe this is the best place to start. Um, I think right now we're, we're growing through um, content creators and we've, you know, we've built this Axie creator program where we now have about 2,500 Web3 creators in our CRM. Um, we grow through our community, obviously, right? That's kind of how Web3 works. What your community are your co-owners of your network. And, you know, we now have this referral code program with over 5,000 ref codes. Um, and, and that's kind of a, a big part for driving K-Factor. Then obviously through performance marketing. And, and, and that's kind of what we've been building out really under, under Warren's tutelage for almost a year now. Um, and it's been, it's been crazy to get it in place. We're getting very close to having it there. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's been a bit of kind of hacking together different pieces of our, of our tech stack. Um, and on the whole, right, this tech stack that's shaping up, um, you know, we, we have attribution. We actually have a couple attribution platforms now. Um, we originally started with, with, with one kind of mobile attribution platform that we thought could kind of do everything we needed to. And, and as we really started trying to get it in place, we realized it could do maybe somewhere between 40 to 60% of what we needed uh, it to do. You know, and, and I think that's fair. It's, it's a tough thing for like a Web2 attribution platform to solve for because when you think about an attribution in, in Web2, right, like especially mobile attribution, it's pretty simple. You know, you, you click on an ad, you get sent to the app store, you click download, and then all tracking and spending has to occur within that same app. Whereas in Web3, it's like, you know, maybe you'll download through an app store, maybe you'll download desktop. Maybe you might even sideload an APK. Uh, and then you might have to track that same user across different platforms within the ecosystem. And then all spending that they do doesn't even occur within the app. The spending occurs in a web-based marketplace and is denominated in a currency that doesn't even make sense to a traditional Web2 attribution platform. So it's been, it's been really messy getting in that place. Um, but I, you know, like I said, I think we're close. Uh, on top of that, you know, we're working on like product analytics and, and A-B testing. And that's tough too because existing product analytics suites are very... Web two focus, but you know maybe I won't dive too far into into that part of it unless it kind of circles back later in the pod. Yeah, and awesome. if I can just yeah. piggyback off of, of off of Quinn here, um, yeah, it's definitely been uh, you know Quinn's team and, and our team at Uptick have definitely been in the least fun part of the kind of growth marketing rollout for the last uh, many months, which is just like getting the piping to work. Um, but uh, they're definitely one of the most forward thinking teams, and you know to, to echo Quinn. You know, uh, about a year ago, um, I, I was I was speaking to to most of the leading like uh, existing measurement providers in mobile. Just like, hey, what are you doing for Web three? Are you tracking it? Are you interested? No one was even really tracking it yet. Um, and like now, fast forward, you know, six to nine months, all of them are selling Web three attribution, but there's not actually anything new. It's just the classic like when your hammer, everything looks like a nail. They're just trying to what we're seeing is a trend to sell and convince companies that, oh, no, this thing, this legacy thing we already have, this is actually fine. This will actually solve all your needs. Um, and we're finding like the truth is like, you know, woefully in, in, in inadequate. Like it's just we need to go back to the first principles to solve for Web3 attribution to some degree. And that's what we've we have not seen like the existing um, segment leaders doing that so far. 
Well, I mean, that's a perfect lead in for, for Justin here. <laughs> I was going to do exactly this anyway. I was going to go to you, Warren, and say, hey, you know, what are you guys doing with Axie? And then jump on to like the last piece of what Quinn was talking about, which is, you know, the attribution piece. Um, Justin, talk, talk, talk a little bit about like what, what are the, the, like the holes in that attribution layer, especially as it compares to, to Web 2? Like, why is it so much harder in Web 3? Like, wh- what is it that makes it, you know, like people think they can do it, you know, to, to Warren's point, like folks are out there saying like, oh yeah, we can do it. Like we can figure this out. And then they can't. What is it that makes it so hard? Yeah, I think the touch, that Quinn touched on one of the really big ones, which is that, you know, in web two, you're driving traffic to your first party application. And then all of the action sort of happens there in a predictable manner. But in web three, like, you know, for a DeFi company, for example, they might buy your token on Coinbase. They might buy it in Uniswap. They might buy it on your website. A lot of the activity actually happens away from your first party application when we think about like downstream revenue metrics. And so when I think about attribution and the questions around attribution in Web2 is like really on the on the front side, the top of the funnel was like where all the messiness was, which is like you saw something on Twitter, you clicked a link um, from there to somewhere else. And then like seven days later, you thought about it, and then you like went to the website and bought the thing. And like going to the website and buying the thing was the simple part in Web2. But now I feel like in Web3, it's the opposite, right? It's like people are coming from a select few number of channels, Twitter, Discord, somewhere else. But then where they actually buy the thing, there's a huge amount of complexity on that. Do they buy it on Uniswap? Do they buy it on Coinbase? Do they buy it in your marketplace? Do they buy it in another marketplace? Uh, you have tokens, you have NFTs, you have multiple different revenue products that got, get purchased in, in lots of different places. And I think that that's where a lot of the complexity comes in is where, where are people buying the thing in Web3? And then the second big gap I would say is I think that there's been a lot of resistance against, you know, doing attribution of any kind in Web3. And for attribution to really work, the ecosystem has to work together. And I think that's the other big missing gap is wallet companies, NFT marketplaces, all of these other uh, companies will have to come together and share data in a certain amount of way, certain way in order for attribution of Web3 to work. And that just doesn't exist at all today. Um, so whatever attribution player comes about, I believe we'll need to get the ecosystem to work together in a way that is privacy friendly. It makes sense. I, I can see both Warren and Quinn, you want to jump in on this, but I'm going to ask a, 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 what would be arguably a dumb question or a naive question. Um, I'm going to throw this challenge. Like, isn't everything on chain transparent? Like, doesn't that make life easier, right? So yes, it's all happening all over the place. But like, if it's all happening in the same wallet or a, or a series of connected wallets, which is not impossible to track, shouldn't that make attribution actually easier? So let me just throw that question out there. Like, what is preventing somebody from just connecting the dots between the wallets and the transactions and the tokens in those wallets and creating an ecosystem of connected wallets? Like, wouldn't that be a marketer's dream to be able to know exactly what they've bought and what's sitting in that wallet and how much they've spent and when they bought it and exactly how what the you know exchange rate was at that point in time? And like, that's literally like the exact amount of spend that they've done. Like, isn't that the dream? And why is that so hard to to make work as a, as an attribution um, play. I think that that definitely is the dream. And I think that we're also working towards that dream, but I do, do think that there is complexity with, there will always be some off chain events that need to be tracked. Um, so for example, like, you know, a lot of growth happens in between the sign up and the activation, the activation will be on chain and that's all great, but there's still this, you know, what happens in between that might be captured in some 
you know, on-chain apps, off-chain, and that gets gets lost. And so the it's hard to like trace the trail. And I think that some of those types of questions will be made up through partnerships between these different companies in the ecosystem. That's like very, 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 very missing today. Quinn, I saw you you were dying to jump in there on the last one, as as were you, Warren. So yeah, go for it. Well, I I think I actually to, to that last point, right? Uh, I I mean I I, ju- I think what Justin is building is is super super cool. I, I've got a, a bit of a high level kind of flavor of it in a call not too long ago. But you know what what I'm starting to see too is, is one project in particular is building like this kind of Web three CRM where they're actually able to start linking off chain accounts and off chain actions to wallet addresses. Um, which is really, really cool. You know, suddenly you can see a wallet address and you can see the Twitter account, like most likely linked to that address. And then you can start to really build a pretty robust profile. What they're also solving for too, which really impressed me is like people having actually multiple hot wallets and they're even able to identify which ones are their cold wallets. And just through, you know, a couple really strategic measurements, they're able to put this together. And once you do have that holistic um, kind of profile of of one one person or one like pseudonymous entity, maybe we call them. I think it does get extremely powerful for targeting them, especially in a future where you know our wallet truly is our sign on on you know most most websites we're interacting with, even with IRL events as well. Um, you know, I think I think it does get powerful. We're just not quite there yet because the wallet isn't your ticket for everything. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's just a challenge of how do you make the join. And to your point, Nico, I think if um, if someone were building an attribution provider from scratch for Web3, you know, such as, you know, Justin and his team are one team obviously looking at this, this area. I, I think to your point, there's actually a lot more tools available versus like going from zero to having full mobile attribution, you know, back in the day. It's just that the existing solutions were built for a different problem. Um, and uh, everyone's just a little late to the game with getting started, uh, or at least like the, the, the legacy companies. The, the point I wanted to add following Justin's, you know, initial comments were, Everything he says is correct. The scary thing is this is still not the full puzzle because so we, we solve for Web3 attribution. Um, our thesis up, uptick is like, you know, the, the early generation of like huge winners are going to be models similar to what, you know, Quinn and the Axie team are doing, which is like hybrid economies where there's free to play onboarding and you can have, you know, uh, traditional free to play gaming, but then layer in Web3 in an opt-in way. So now you have like two disparate data sets, you have to join two disparate economies. And then you factor in cross platform, which is also where most leading games are going. And you have another set of, you know, traditional mobile attribution is is device based and really bad at talking to each other when a user goes cross platform. So we have these additional complexities beyond just the, you know, unique problem of Web3 native attribution that when you start talking about all these things layered on top of a product like like Axie, you start seeing why it's such a headache to just get the, I put a dollar in and I want to know what my my return is. Yeah. We'll come back to attribution, I'm sure, because it's a, it's a, I'm sure we could, we could riff on this for a while, but I want to actually touch on something else here, which is a great place where you just ended, Warren, which is like, I put a dollar in. Okay. So let's talk about, so we were just talking about, okay, what we just talked about was we've already put the dollar in. Now we're trying to figure out like, okay, you know, what are this, what is that dollar doing? Like, what is that user that cost me a dollar? What are they actually doing? Let's talk about finding those users for a dollar. <laughs> um, 
you know, we've already touched briefly on it. I think, Justin, you mentioned the fact that like uh, the, the, your typical gathering places, watering holes, if you will, for, uh, you know, certainly for mobile free to play, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, the duopoly of Facebook and, and Google and, you know, various other ad networks. Um, but it's very different in Web3. You know, people aren't necessarily even on Facebook. You know, they're, they're on Telegram, potentially. They're, they're in, on Twitter, crypto Twitter. They're in, they're in Discord groups. And those are really, I mean, Twitter... Let's see what Elon does. But, uh, you know, t- Twitter is hard to target. Um, uh, Telegram is impossible. You can't even really do anything on Telegram. And Discord is like just these little islands, you know, like all individual islands. There's no holistic way of approaching like, okay, here's the entire Discord user base. Like, and here are the different groups you can target. You go one by one, basically, if, if that's what you're going to do. And really, it's, it's mostly shilling or <laughs> hiring somebody to go and shill in these groups. So tell me a little bit about, uh, maybe go back to Quinn on this one, because obviously uh, Quinn and Warren, I think you're probably best positioned to talk on this. Um, that $1 that I want to go and spend, where are you going to spend it? Um, how are you finding the right places to go? And what are the challenges that you're finding um, compared to your kind of traditional Facebook, Google duopoly slot, you know, plus, you know, gazillion ad networks that are all doing different niche things that you can target? Yeah, so I, I can start here. My answer might be surprising because, you know, I, my background is in doing paid UA and performance marketing for a decade, you know, um, and I generally, you know, my whole philosophy is, you know, use highly optimized, highly measurable spend is, you know, 99 times out of 100 is going to be like your most effective, like marketing investment. Um, going deep into Web3, I'm actually extremely, uh, extremely bearish on on any kind of paid marketing um, of solutions currently on market as an optimal way, because we're going after a very small set of, you know, bleeding edge users, the early adopters. And we've found that in the Web3 space, ads are more commonly associated with scams or shilling of some kind. Um, and we've completely pivoted, you know, for earlier stage, this makes less sense for a more, uh, a more saturated product like, like Axie that already is top of mind for Web3 native, where, you know, for Axie, it's more strategy of how do we expand and go to mainstream user base. But that's not where 99% of projects are. 99% are still trying to get that small subset of active you know, Web3 wallets. Um, and so for projects in that stage, we actually recommend don't spend that dollar. Don't spend that dollar until you have highly saturated the Web3 native space through different types of social proof style marketing and partnerships marketing. And then when you have, a, you know, a fully playable product that has a onboarding that's friendly for mainstream users, then start opening up paid channels. But, you know, at that point, your your product starts rhyming a lot more with like, you know, we're in gaming. So it starts rhyming a lot more with the mainstream game. So yeah, we, we, we literally don't spend in most cases for, you know, when a product is in targeting Web3 native users only. I, I really like that response, Warren. And, and I, I, I think that, you know, social capital is like one of the scarcest resources when you're just starting out in Web3, especially, right, where you're asking users to like co-own your, your network with you. And this was definitely something that was a major focus of, of Jiho's um, in the early days of Axie. It was purely about, you know, how do we through partnerships kind of increase the social capital of Axie? But once you do get past that tipping point, kind of where, where we are now and the way we're thinking about it, uh, yeah, the answer may surprise, but our focus really is actually more on the free-to-play side of Origins um, and kind of targeting more traditional Web 2 gamers. Our thesis is let's bring in as many traditional you know, Web 2 gamers as we can into our ecosystem first, and then it's just it might just be a CRM problem. And so how do we kind of develop this, this package, this curriculum of outreach that's totally optimized to educate them on why it's so powerful to own your own assets? 
and educate them on, you know, how to open a wallet and actually purchase your first first axes and solve what I think is the biggest existential crisis in in Web three right now, which is how do we, you know, convert Web two to Web three users at scale? Yeah, I love those answers. I think that that's you know, as a as a Web three game dev, that's what I'm feeling. Like we we've been holding back on spending on paid for. Ex- it's an intuition. You yeah. guys are seeing it, you know, front and center, front line. So it's kind of, kind of nice, I guess, in a way that you're validating that intuition, which is like, well, it's too early for for paid spend at this point in time. It's more just partnerships and like just growing almost like slowly, you know, like it's kind of slowly one by one and getting people to, to just kind of essentially buy into your vision and buy into to what we're doing. And uh, it's interesting to hear you both say that actually, yeah, paid marketing is probably not the answer for 99% of projects uh, at this moment in time. And it actually leads nicely into, you know, another question I wanted to ask, which is, hey, how do you convert Web 2 to Web 3? I think that's a, <laughs> a natural segue there. Um, you know, once you do have that game, you've got that playable, you've got that social capital built up, you know, you've got yourself a community that, you know, that, you know, you've got something there, right? Like it's sticky, you got that, you know, what you would call product market fit, essentially. Um, where, where do you then go? Do you just go to traditional channels and say, okay, let's open the floodgates and go to traditional web two channels and convert them into free to play. And then hopefully we can get a surprise and delight kind of event further down the line and actually measure that just the way we would normally, you know, an attribution went where like, okay, I now sign up for a wallet because I've got a, a token sitting in there that I've earned through gameplay and I'm now converting into a, a payer essentially. Um, or, or is it more complex than that? Yeah. I, I, you, 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 you touch on, um, you know, it's well, well stated as, as far as like the kind of the current state of, of, of web three, uh, a lot of, a lot of projects have it backwards, particularly in gaming of like, you know, things will be gated. It's like buy this NFT, set up your wallet. Now you can start playing the alpha of our game that will ship next year. And it's like the complete opposite of everything we learned in free to play over the last decade or so, which is like, just get people in, get them having fun and then show them a value proposition once they're having fun. Um, and so, you know, to, to, to answer your question, I think it's, it's going to be a bit of a boring answer. If you're going after, you know, main, mainstream gamers, you're going to be using the, the established mainstream channels and targeting practices to some degree. What really differs is the messaging and the kind of uh, creative you have to develop to take people on that journey. Cause it's a different journey than, um, you know, just straight free to play gaming to Quinn's point. Um, we've really found you have to produce a lot more like educational materials, like deeper funnel materials. And it's, it, the ad still serves the role of getting people's attention, getting them to take the first step. But then, you know, your marketing creative team actually needs to be working closely with product to, to say, okay, cool. We've got people in the door. How do we present some educational materials and the value proposition of why you should essentially like upgrade your experience and, you know, take your first journey into ownable digital assets? Yes. And, and this is where at Axie, we lean really heavily on the content creators. This is why we believe content creators, content creators are key in web two for sure, but like it's, you know, it's 10 X more powerful in web three. Um, and, and like what's really even crazier is most of our team at Sky Mavis was originally onboarded into web three by a content creator. Um, it gets so hard with the, the breakneck pace, <clears throat> excuse me, pace of things in web three. It gets content goes stale like that. You know, and so when we first started out, we were trying to produce our own content that was educational and onboarding. Uh, and, and it, you know, by the time we had it done, it was almost too late. And so now through our creator program, we're able to incentivize our creators to basically do all of, all of that, um, community handholding and education for us. And, and that gets, that's, that gets a lot more powerful. 
So I'm going to circle back a little bit to attribution here for, for Justin, because this journey from, and we, we alluded to this earlier already, but this journey from web two, free to play, free to play, free to play, you know, traditional, traditional, oh, web three, now we're converting into something different. Okay, now maybe I have a wallet. Now maybe I have tokens in the wallet. Oh, maybe I'm earning crypto in a, in a currency that doesn't make any sense. We've gone from, you know, dollars and cents. I'm spending US dollars to acquire traditional web two um, uh, you know, player just like you would normally. And then suddenly it converts into, you know, crypto or tokens or something that has uncertain and certainly volatile value, <laughs> if, if nothing else, right? Um, so, so, so Justin, talk a little bit about how you guys are thinking about that journey, because that is a very different journey. It, it, in some ways, it's exactly the same as what we're used to. And in other ways, it's completely different because you go from one paradigm to another. Um, it's almost like you're crossing a chasm. I mean, you're not getting red-pilled because it's, you know, you're there for the game. You're just there to play the game. But you're kind of crossing, crossing a border, essentially, from one country to another. And suddenly the, the, the currency is different, right? You're going from you know, US dollars to euros or whatever, uh, the analogy. And, and even more, more than that, it's like you're going from, I'm, I'm not carrying any luggage, to suddenly, oh, I now have a token. I own this thing. So how does that change the equation? How does that change the attribution? How does that change the LTV calculations? As you're getting these downstream events, Like, do you suddenly cross a, a border into, oh, this person, this player is much more valuable? Or, or is, it, is that too simplistic? Like, what changes in your mind as you're thinking about these calculations on the attribution side and the LTV calculations? Like, does it suddenly like 5x or 10x? Or is it just like an incremental thing? Or does it not matter at all? Is it still just the same kind of equation? A lot of questions in there, but I'm super curious about, because this is the journey that, that many of us Web3 game devs are going to be taking, right? We're going to be going from this, I'm just building a really fun game. I'm using blockchain technologies and tokens and NFTs to create more interesting gameplay experiences, more valuable, more fun, more engaging, whatever. Game des designers are going to decide. Um, but that's the journey we're going to be on. And I, for one, have no idea how to think about that, <laughs> that crossing of the border um, piece. So, Justin, yeah, over to you. Wow, you really stuck me with the, the, the easy question over here. Um, <laughs> hey, you're the attribution I mean, guy. You know, that's, that's, that's what you're here for. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think that at this point in time, there isn't a great sense of LTV or most of these metrics that are so commonly understood in Web2. And that's where, the, where a lot of the problem begins, um, is that when we talk to so many different companies, many of them have no idea what their ROI is, their ROAS are etc. All these traditional metrics that we're so used to knowing. And LTV was already complex in Web2, even with all the measurement uh, platforms that we have out there. And I think that, I mean, I'd be curious to know what the Axie team thinks about LTV, but like LTV yeah. is like not understood by really any Web3 company I've talked to yet in terms of like what their LTV is. I think we'll certainly get to an understanding of, you know, those types of users that have gone through a lot of this like deep onboarding and education that uh, Quinn has uh, been talking about obviously become more valuable. But in terms of how we measure that, I think that that's like a more, much more advanced problem than the type of problem that we're trying to solve today. What we're really trying to solve today is like, we have these two worlds that are so different, Web 2 and Web 3, for many different reasons. How do we stitch together a basic user journey between Web2 platforms and Web3 outcomes. And that's really like, I mean, it's, it's probably sounds super crazy coming from like the Web2 standpoint, but that's really where we are today. It's like, how do we stitch this journey between Web2 and Web3? And then on top of that comes the questions of like LTV, et cetera, 
uh, more advanced level metrics. But yeah, at this point in time, it's it's really just uh, trying to get it a full user journey. Yeah, I was going to say, I think as the market matures, like, again, so much of this is about just like education and demystifying the Web3 space. Because Nico, to your point, I mean, at the end of the day, this conversion journey going across this chasm is very similar to, you know, going from a free-to-play player to a paying player, which we know is a very small percentage of free-to-play. Um, and if we do things right as game designers working with the Web3 Lego pieces, it's just an additive element. It's just taking something that you could do before and making it cooler, letting you own that thing, letting it have, you know, trade it on, on the secondary market, you know, take it into another game and do cool stuff in, in game B that you got from game A. Like it doesn't negate anything that was a value proposition of paying for, um, you know, a non, non-ownable digital purchase in the old world of free to play. And uh, I think once we remove all the cl- complexity and stigma from it, and we're starting to see this with with Reddit and like their mass adoption of their you know digital digital collectibles as they're calling it, um, the the mystique is starting to pan away, and people are just like, oh, these are just like ownable, tradable digital things, and I collect other digital things and buy other digital things, and these just let me do some extra cool stuff with them. Yeah, Quinn, yeah. I saw you both nodding uh, vigorously and and shaking your head vigorously when when Justin was talking and 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 during this as well. Uh, LTV, I think LTV oh was what gosh. you're nodding and uh, nodding and shaking mm-hmm. your head at. Um, talk talk to us a little bit about how you know Sky Mavis, how Axia thinks about LTV, um, and how do you measure it? Well, it's absolutely something that we're trying to solve for. Nobody has cracked like what is <clears throat> what is LTV in Web three, right? It's exactly what Justin was saying, and like I actually have some notes here from things, open conversations that we have, and like Justin and Warren, Warren, you you probably know most of these already, but I would love to get get y'all's thoughts on this too. I do want to touch uh, before I j- jump into that. I do want to touch on this stitch the journey together piece thing that both of you guys just brought up. It's so critical. And, and Warren, you're right in theory, it, you know, the theory of it is no different than this user journey that we have in like from free to paid in web two, right? Except now maybe it's like, um, unregistered guest free to registered free to NFT or something like that. And there's paid IAP, uh, in there as well somewhere. So it's, you know, it's a funky nonlinear path, but, but right, uh, the theory is there. You know, we've just spun up this conversion rate optimization squad um, at Sky Mavis specifically to try to start to answer some of these things. Anyways, on the LTV piece, right? Some things that we're struggling with. You know, first of all, I think a lot of these um, uh, media partners have like 30-day postback windows, um, and if we're capturing a Web two user and then working on converting them to Web three, you know, they may not purchase an NFT for 45 days. Um, now, obviously, like, you know, there's kind of predictive modeling and throwing the kitchen sink at it, figuring out what aha um, kind of key events early funnel are most correlated. And I'm very bullish on that, but I actually have kind of a, a back and forth with another teammate internally who, like, wishes he could be bullish on it, but isn't. Um, I would love to pause there and, and Warren and Justin, hear, hear your reactions and thoughts around that. Yeah, I, I, it's a good point, Quinn, because I mean, I'm speaking more idealistically. The truth is, like, the user journey sucks today. It's miserable, <laughs> you know, for even like the best products in the space it to is, go and is. become, have your first Web3 experience. Um, so, yeah, there is the reality of what we do today versus like the ideal of like, yeah, in right. theory, it's just a value add, but we put such, it's such a high bar that people have to jump over to have their first experience today that that really is and, a pain point. And the goal is like that, you know, my, my mom, right, who's like 60 something, don't tell her I said that, and plays Candy Crush, like should be able to convert to Web3. And we'll get to that point, but it's going to be a, a heck of a lot of optimization to get there. Sorry, Warren, I, I totally jumped in on you. No, no, it's all good. 
I, I mean, I, Nico, I'd, I'd love to kind of go to you for for your thoughts here too, because obviously you're look, looking at this problem daily, right? With with some of your personal work, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, as a, as a Web three game dev, I mean, everything you guys are saying echoes. Um, uh, you know, but I think Justin probably said my sentiments the best, which is like, we haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> That's the TLDR. We haven't figured it out yet. Uh, you know, in, in some ways it's amazing in Web3, you know, as a game dev, like we've gone down the path that Warren said we shouldn't, but that's okay. Mistakes are made. Mistakes <laughs> were made. Uh, where we started out with like, uh, nobody can play our game unless they own, you know, one of our NFTs. Um, we recognize that that is limiting. Um, and so in some ways it's great because it's kind of a Kickstarter on steroids and you've got uh, an incredibly passionate community who's there truly is there to play the game. They, they want to own these, these NFTs. They want to be part of this community. They want to be uh, players of this game. But on the, on the other hand, you know, you're limiting yourself just to people who are prepared to drop you know, a reasonably large amount of money um, on something that's not a finished product yet. Um, and so that, to me, when Justin says like, hey, what is the LTV of your players? Or like, how do you think about the value of, of your community? Well, it's very hard to say <laughs> because... Um, they're all payers. You have 100% payers, which is like, oh, yay, we have 100% payer conversion. Well, uh, I'm sorry, that's probably not going to scale when you go free to play <laughs> and try to do that conversion piece. So we don't know, like, is it going to be the one to 3% it is in free to play, you know, when we, when we, you know, we're ready with the game and we open it up? Or is it going to be higher because there is a notion of ownership? And I don't know if any team working on this has yet figured out, like, are conversion rates higher because this digital ownership? Or are they exactly the same as they would be in free-to-play because it's just another conversion event, right? Like, I think Warren and Quinn were talking to this, like, well, it's just, it's just a pair conversion. It's just a slightly different kind of pair conversion, but it's just a pair conversion. So I think the jury's out. I don't think any of us know um, which way it's going to go. Is, are the conversions higher because of ownership, you know, because of this, you know, potentially we call it being more spicy, a slightly spicier game design because you've got tokenized economies, you've got digital ownership, like it's a little spicier than your kind of normal food. Or is it um, just the same? It's just a payer conversion event. And people who would pay, normally convert to payers in free-to-play will do the same in, in Web3. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. yeah. So that's an unsatisfying answer because it's like, I don't know. TLDR is, I don't know. <laughs> right. I think what gets interesting specifically around payer conversion is, you know, right now a Web3 user like probably has a pretty high uh, intent, right? So you're going to have a high payer conversion there. And so you go, okay, as I open it up to the world, you know, maybe there's a lower payer conversion, but there's certainly this future where, you know, there can be IAP NFTs. So now suddenly the friction to actually paying for an NFT goes down considerably. And so we're actually doing some modeling right now um, for some, a bunch of you know, Apple App Store meetings. Um, in December to help project what we believe, you know, Axie's impact on App Store billings would be. We're actually making an assumption that we'll see similar uh, pay, payer conversion rates um, on App Store versus what we're seeing in Web3 right now, which might be a big assumption, but I think, you know, it's an interesting kind of angle to take. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to have a thesis, right? You got to start with a thesis and then kind of either prove it or disprove it, and then we'll see where it goes. But but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a perfectly reasonable thesis to take. Um, I'll and, just quickly yeah, add in... Uh, add in uh, our our team's thesis, if you don't mind, Nico. This this will be of pretty course. quick, but you know, to to answer that question, um, so for you know, we're thinking about the next two to three year period, and our thesis is like LTV will be higher, but conversion will be lower. You know, you're 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 putting additional bars uh, ahead of someone converting to be a Web three owner, but the value proposition of something, you know, we've we've had this decade that we normalized of 
every digital asset you buy in gaming is instantly worth zero, you know, with, with, with no exception. And I think once there's more education that like, you know, you actually, you own a thing that exists outside of that experience and, you know, it at least may uh, have some future value if that economy in, in game stays robust. So higher bar, but um, more willingness to make larger purchases from that top end of the payer curve uh, because of, you know, the, the spiciness, as you put it. Yeah, I, I think that's close. That's pretty close to our thesis as well. Um, probably smaller numbers of payers, but higher willingness to pay and kind of higher, higher threshold. But once you get over that threshold, you know, you've kind of, you're crossing over into kind of a new territory, right. if you will, where, where you're, you know, you're prepared to put a bit more down because you're like, yeah, I get the value prop. Like I get, I own this thing. I get yeah. it has residual value. Um, and the cool thing, the cool thing is, the, the cool thing is, and I'll stop after this is like, they're not mutually exclusive. So like, right. I think the best games will have like a complete cool. You never have to even touch web three. If you don't want to touch it when you're ready, but you can still, you know, have a, be a free to play whale uh, in these hybrid economies. If, if yeah. that's, you know, your, your profile. Yeah, that, that's a big, a big struggle uh, or not struggle, but maybe fun challenge um, for us right now, <clears throat> which is, you know, as we do scale, we need to have a, a web two version of our game, if you will, that like is feature complete and is very fun and can accommodate IAP web two whales. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't harm the web three experience at all or make our like, you know, our, our asset holders feel like they are missing out or they made the wrong decision. It's a really tough one to balance, but definitely that's what the winning, I think, NFT games of the future will, will be able to uh, accommodate. Oh man, we are, we are balancing that right now. Like <laughs> how do you introduce more assets potentially for free, potentially free to play, potentially not NFTs at all without pissing off your existing right. holders? Um, how do you make the game design fair for everybody um, who participates in different ways. Yeah, it's not an easy challenge. It's fun as a game designer, as a developer. It's fun, uh, intellectually stimulating, but boy, is it not easy. So um, I'm going to jump onto something that, that we've, we're kind of skirting around a little bit. And we've, we've, every comment has kind of been talking about it a little bit. And I'm just going to tackle it head on, which is you know this notion of targeting segmentation player personas. Um, I'm going to come to Quinn on this one first, because I remember reading somewhere not too long ago that you guys have done a lot of work on player personas and really understanding um, what kinds of players and payers and scholars and, you know, uh, all of the different player types that you have. Uh, I, I think it was 11, but you're going to correct me here. Um, uh, it's, yep. yeah, it's a sizable number. Uh, talk us a little bit about how you did that segmentation in the absence of, you know, all the things that we've, we've talked about, like, you know, all the tools that we used, we're so used to in web two, how have you been doing this, uh, the segmentation and this player persona work? And can you talk a little bit about what these personas are? Cause I found it absolutely fascinating reading about it and it, it resonated strongly with me uh, at least. Yeah, it, it really is so different in a Web 3 game versus a Web 2 game, right? Because, you know, we have these like 11 different personas or, or player archetypes that we've identified. Um, and I would say only about half of them actually are gamers or only about half of them actually play the game that often, right? And I think you could break that um, set of personas down along a fairly similar um, kind of line or, or set of archetypes that you would like, you know, Web 2 gamers. But what gets really interesting is the part outside of that, um, because you know we have we have we have like really hardcore community members who are only rare asset collectors, or like who are only breeders or flippers, or we even have community members who do nothing but like participate in our DAO governance discussions every single day, 
and they are just as much a part of our uh, of Axie as as somebody who plays the game itself. Now, what gets really hard on like the assigning value to them side of things is, you know, we almost think about like there's two different types of LTV in our ecosystem. It's like an instant LTV, which is really like a traditional LTV measurement and like a latent LTV. Uh, and like, you know, if I, let's say Nico, I go and I acquire you through performance marketing and maybe you don't actually spend an Axie, but you end up like LPing a sizable share of tokens in Katana, our, our decks. Well, you've definitely added value. You know, you are LTV positive in some way to the Axie ecosystem, but we have no idea how to measure that at the moment. Uh, the other piece too is on the games themselves, the gamers themselves, you know, there are now like scholars. That's an archetype that doesn't exist in Web2. And scholars can be a tough one because there are ways that they are positive to the ecosystem and, and there are ways that they offer like incredible growth uh, channels. But they can also be LTV negative in that they are extractive. They're extracting value sometimes from the ecosystem on the whole. So there is this new balance of actually player archetypes that exists as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, actually, uh, Justin, because um, this once again is one of those areas where uh, you know, understanding like a conversion event, you know, into something like a scholar or a conversion event into something like a DAO, active DAO member or something, you know, an LP, like those again are just these really wacky um, events and things that just don't really exist. There's no analogy for those in Web2. And so, and that's where, again, you know, we're talking about like, or I was talking about, you know, crossing from one country to the other, you're talking a different language, you know, you're using a different currency. Um, this is not monetary, but this is incredibly valuable. And I, I agree with you, Quinn, like we have a similar um, situation where we have a whole bunch of people who are just sitting on the sidelines. They're not holders. They're in the discord. They're active. They're chatting. They're excited about the game. They're waiting. They're waiting and seeing. And, and they're net positive. Oh my, right. they're a massive net positive, but they haven't converted yet. Uh, they may never convert. May, they may just be there for the community, but we wouldn't want to lose them at all. Like right. they're amazing. Like th these are people that are just a net positive every step of the way, every single day. In some ways, more so. Right. Than, and you might than, even buy more you know, of them if you could. It's right. Crazy. Exactly. And so, so that's why I want to just I want to jump on Justin here because that's just one of those things where, like, how do you measure the value of that? How do you even think of, start thinking about measuring the value? Like, I certainly don't have the answer at all. <laughs> I think that this I give you is all the like, easy ones. I give you all the easy ones, Justin. <laughs> I think that on the measurement side, I think, you know, what we're really talking about here is like, how do you measure the value of community? And a lot of these personas fit more into community than into the people who are actually purchasing with like revenue dollars. And I think that, you know, attribution will take care of the people who are actually purchasing. But I think that there's like a larger existential question here of like, how do you measure the value of community, especially when community-like growth is such a core channel to so many of these companies? And honestly, you know, so for me, like we both have the attribution products, but we also manage our own community and we actually started as a community. So we built a community of Web3 growth leaders back in February and have been engaging and nurturing this community over time. And there's so many interesting positive outputs that come from a community that I think you'll just never be able to measure. Um, that really impacts your brand in very positive ways. There are probably lots of these scholars that are interacting within Axie's ecosystem. They're creating friendships together and like sharing the brand in lots of ways that are very atraditional. Um, and we see the same within Safari's community as well. Like Safari, a member told me recently that they uh, use Safari as a talking point in one of their interviews to get their first Web3 growth role. Our community does not exist to get people jobs, but like that is a powerful brand mechanism that this person had this really positive experience through learning in our community, 
from learning from other people, and they're going to remember that forever. Other lots of other ways in which Safari advances people's careers that aren't are necessarily like core value, but really increase the brand share and brand importance of our company and our community and the ecosystem. I think that those types of things will always be inherently difficult or maybe impossible to measure. Um, but I think that this is kind of like where uh, Warren was talking about too, in terms of the early stages are really about building that social capital. And these types of community non-measurable experiences do go far in measuring that social capital. And then we layer on more attributable um, elements on top of that as we scale, I think is how sort of how a lot of these projects are, are going along. And if I can chime in here, um, you know, one thing that our team has been experimenting with, and, and for context, like half, half of Uptake is like our engineering and product side. So it's, it's very like mission-driven development where it's just like, what are the problems we're solving? How can engineering and automation help solve these? But we're actually trying to play with how can you do targeting when you're doing community and, and organic marketing and how can you quantify uh, quality? Um, so some tactics that we've started experimenting with, and this is not fully productized yet, but essentially like in lieu of traditional targeting, like essentially like a, a community scoring system. So if you think about all the Web3 based communities and you're growing, uh, you know, we focus in gaming. So say you're growing a, a match three game that you would then, you know, have a, a 20 scoring criteria. Um, and then you would process that. It might be like, you know, how is this a gaming community? Is it a similar art style? Um, how do they have like high, a certain uh, discord engagement metric? And so essentially like, you know, this is, this is kind of your proxy for targeting is like how, how relevant is the, 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 these potential partner communities. And then once you start doing partnerships marketing with them, uh, you can start measuring like, okay, well, which communities did we have an AMA with? Which ones did we offer like a higher tier of incentive to work with us? Which ones did we have a community advocate inside? Um, and we've been measuring the like things like the obviously you know who do who comes in from different communities like where are we getting more people into our our games, but also what is the quality of these? Um, like we, you can measure retention in the Discord of of your project. So like in our last big push for a game, um, uh, OK Bears was a really hot project at the time, and uh, our our partner really wanted OK Bears people in in their game. We found that they were out of like 30 communities who were worked, they, they had the worst retention of any any community. Um, only about half the people stuck around after seven days. So even though it's like a highly high quality community, highly regarded, it had low relevance to the game that we were representing there. And you know, we there there is data available if you're crafty to kind of piece together these stories. But as a theme with a lot of what we're talking about, there's not like very mature solutions. You know, we're all kind of figuring this out as we go along. Yeah, that, you know, the, the affinity piece is so um, interesting. And I'm going to poke at that a little bit. I want to come and come back to partnerships marketing because that's, uh, it, it's a term that I haven't, I, I know it's a thing. Um, and obviously it's all about partnerships and, you know, these different communities kind of coming together. I want to poke, poke at that a little bit in a second, but first I'm going to come back to affinity. So, um, you know, I used, I used to uh, 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 run Zynga Poker and then uh, a free-to-play slots a mobile game and uh free to play slots is an interesting category because the affinity piece is so powerful um and it kind of highlights the point um that i'm going to make here really really well um you know if you're a slots player you're a slots player and you're going to play lots of different slots games and we used to call it you're, you're promiscuous um you know you'll try different slots games you know you'll you'll try almost all of them you'll stick with a few you know five six you can't play all of them all the time um, but the ones that you really like you really like and you're going to convert it to a pair in those and you might not convert it to a pair at all, 
in others. And so this affinity piece is not just like, oh, you're a slots player. I'm going to target slots players. Like you need to target slots players, but pay certain play certain kinds of games. And we developed this uh, classic style slot game, you know, one arm bandit type game. Um, and there was another game. There was only one other game out there um, that had that. And when we targeted those, and Facebook still allowed you to target individual apps at that point. When we targeted those those players, like oh my god, like the conversion rates are insane, right? Like and compared to like a video slots player, where conversion rates you know solid, but like nowhere near as high as that, right? And so this affinity piece, um, that's still very nascent in Web three. You know, like the ability to target at that granular level at an individual app uh, or an individual category of apps where there's like a family of them that that are, you know, all share certain characteristics in Web2, very tried and true. And, it, it, you know, even though slots is like a pretty extreme example of it, like, you know, the same thing applies to midcore and to, you know, casual puzzle games and so on and so forth. In Web3, that that doesn't really exist. I mean, your point, Warren, was well taken, which is like, okay, they targeted the OK Bears community they thought would be a good fit. It wasn't for whatever reason. Um Talk to us more, and maybe I jumped to Quinn on this one because I'm sure you guys have done a whole bunch of this. Like, try to figure out like what it, what you know, what characteristics do do su- successful Axie Infinity players or you know Axie community members share with other communities, and how do you go about targeting them? You know, to, to kind of fit one of those eleven personas that you've identified, like, and you want to bring more of those folks in. How do you think about affinity to your product? What makes for a good affinity um, for Axia? Yeah, I, I think affinity is 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 very powerful, right? I, I don't think there's quite a way to do it yet at scale. I think it's a bit of a concierge kind of onboarding um, process when doing it, which actually works really well for in the early days of a Web three project, right? When you're kind of first building, when you're finding the first ten thousand co owners of your network, you almost want to be kind of white glove with who you're onboarding. I mean, we actually had an example. Um, you know, I think affinity is a great way to put it. Vampire attack is another way that I think it can be put. Uh, in the early days of Axie, right, um, not long before our first land sale, um, a, a, a bunch of team members, uh, a bunch of Axie team members went and became very active in another project, uh, very well known for um, its uh, kind of land NFTs and obviously had a number of landholders there. So, you know, we knew that that was a place that had many landholders. And at the time, nobody knew Axie had a land sale coming up. Um, and so, you know, we got very active in that Discord and started saying, hey, anybody from this Discord who wants to come join Axie, for the next two weeks, we'll get three free Axies for joining. And so, you know, nobody in that Discord really thought much of it at the time. A bunch of new people came over. They were gifted the three free Axies. I think there's a lot of power in gifting, too. There's a little bookmark there. Anyways, you know, two weeks later, uh, we announced our first land sale and we had these kind of high intent landholders from another project, this affinity there, who we knew would be really good fits. Another, a number of them actually never ended up going back to that project where they first came over from. And, and, and many of them are actually still our biggest kind of landholders today and, and like have become our whales building alongside us. So there is a lot of power and affinity. I just don't think it's at scale yet. It's more of this kind of white glove service. Yeah, is that something you guys are doing, Warren? Like, you know, obviously you are at least on a kind of a handhold basis. But like, is this something that can be programmatically done? Is there a way to identify different communities in Web three that that you know share certain characteristics that you'd be like, hey, client, you know, client A, like you should go to B, C, F, and G because they have great affinity to you, but don't go to E because E is not a good fit. E is the OK Bears equivalent of like. That's not, you know, they look good. They look sexy, but like, that's not your fit. That's not your community. Yeah, we're, we're a really long way from this being able to be done programmatically. Like, whereas in the traditional UA space, um, so many of the leading channels have evolved to some level of like, hit the big red button and pray. 
you know, of just like the algorithms are so advanced, uh, you know, they can do nine times out of 10 a better job than uh, a UA manager micromanaging to, to try to achieve a similar outcome. Um, even when it comes to targeting, you know, it's, you're just using a triple A AAA campaign rather than like carefully selecting a list of, you know, tar- target, target games. Um, for, for Web3, it's still very human-based, very relationship-based. Um, but you can, you can optimize it, uh, to, to, to your point of the, to the white glove. That was one thing we, we've been trying, uh, initially in, in some of our earlier, like partnerships pushes, we've, we've just identified like, oh, Hey, someone, you know, someone on the team is actually like really well known in this community. Why don't we have them kind of go activate people when we have the partnership offering? And when I say partnership offering, that's usually in, in case like, you know, allow list spots, or NFT raffle, you know, it's, it's some, some entry point into, into your ecosystem. Um, and we found like an immense uptick um, in, uh, in activation. If we just had someone in the communities when, you know, the, the partnership was announced of like, Hey, we have a lot of spots available for, for this game. If someone was just like, Hey guys, I'm, I'm in this new game. Like, let me know, do you have any questions? Like, this is why I'm excited about it. Not shilling it, but just basically being like, Guys, I, I can give you more information here. I'm excited about this. Like, let me know if you have any tr- problems joining. If you don't understand the project, that had a huge increase. And like our top top retaining communities were all communities where we just had that simple step of an advocate. Maybe it took 20 minutes total of that person's time. So to Quinn's point, it is still very white glove and, and manual, um, but it it has a huge impact versus just like a a, sh- a shill or a, a giveaway of allowless spots. So. You know, one of the things that's coming through this this uh, this hour that we're spending together is, you know, the the topic of today is you know building the Web three marketing stack, and to me, it sounds like the Web three marketing stack obviously has a lot of, of tech that needs to be built, and we're going to get into that in a second. Um, in terms of like the actionable, like here's what needs to be built, here's what we're building, uh, here's what you know others are doing that's interesting and and you know necessary in order to get more programmatic, more to scale. Um, you know, more, uh, less, less manual, but it sounds to me like the current web three marketing stack, um, is maybe even less tech, more manual labor, um, doing a lot of this, you know, handholding, doing a lot of the community identifying just manually partnership marketing, um, you know, gifting things to individuals, to influencers, um, to, uh, to, uh, people who might be a good fit, but you just don't know. There's no real way other than to like, hey, I, I saw this guy saying this thing in this Discord. Like, somebody should reach out to this person, right? Like, um, is that fair to say? Like, are we still at that stage where yes, the tech needs to be built, and we're going to talk about that in a second? Um, but is is it very much like it's so nascent that we're still just doing these things, kind of you know, person by person, community by community, uh, and not really at scale programmatically? Yeah, I can take that one first. I think we're still, you know, since since we have our on the on our community side, we see hundreds of different growth leaders doing different things across verticals. And where we're at today, I believe, is just still highly experimental. And that kind of goes back to my point on attribution: is when we think about what is the user journey across different Web three projects, it's still so different, right? Like Axie is obviously the furthest long has like much more sophistication how they think about their user journey and their personas. But most companies are still trying to figure out what their user journey exactly looks like. And until we get to that point in time, it's really hard to get to the next step of being able to build like 
okay, now we know that the user journey is this. Here's the like tools that we'll use for onboarding. Here's the tools that we'll use for like segmentation and like other things. Uh, those things are, are being built. And I'm excited that there are a lot of different projects building in this space. And um, self, self mini shill is we've recently put out a, a Web3 map of all the growth technology companies building in the space, around 80 teams. Uh, but the interesting thing about those 80 teams is almost every single one of them started building in 2022. So like that's where that's really where we're at today in terms of the the maturity of the web3 marketing and growth stack. Yeah, we're kind of in our like deconstruction phase. So, you know, for our team when we think about growth marketing, we always break it down to three pillars, which is user acquisition, which you could say is just, you know, kind of the the operational piece of of managing channels and optimizing them. Creative, which is, you know, the the, the messaging, the fuel for the machine and then the the analytics and data around that. And we very much believe it's still those same three pillars in Web3 marketing, but you kind of have to deconstruct and rebuild. Um, so what we're finding is like, you know, stage one was just like, forget everything, you know, just go back to like, if we're building from scratch today, what is the right way to do each of these three pillars? And then what we found is as you kind of rebuild that stack, you say, oh, actually, we can use this existing tool here. We can easily automate this segment here. And like for our team, we feel like we're kind of like halfway through building that stack. And it's both through uh, stuff that our engineering team is building, but also having conversations with teams like Justin's that are like laser focused on solving key parts of the problem that you can you know, slot into your own stack. Well, my only thought is, Justin, I would love to see that, uh, that map that you put together with, with the 80 teams building. That's very cool. All right. So, in the interest of time, um, let's talk about actual tech being built. Uh, uh, you know, we've we talked a lot about kind of the problems, and you know, these are not new problems. You know, most people building in Web three and even in Web two kind of are f- familiar with these things, and and the basics I think still hold true. You know, you need to understand how you're spending your money, and are you spending it wisely, and what these players are doing, and what is their LTV, and so therefore, what is your ROAS? That's the ultimate kind of. As a marketer, certainly as a, as a performance marketer, that's what you're looking to do. Sounds like we're not quite there yet in, in Web3. So what tools need to be built what, and what are you guys building? Um, just want to hear more about the ecosystem and you know, learn more about these 80 uh, companies that you're tracking, uh, Justin. You know, what, is ever, what is everyone doing? Uh, what are the interesting tools that are being built that you think are, and they don't have to be game changers, but you know, are going to solve some of these problems in the, in the Web3 marketing stack? Why don't we start with uh, you on this one, Warren? Yeah, sure. I'd say there's, you know, there's there's a couple of areas that that our team is focused on building right now. Um, you know, in the in the meantime, while we're waiting for like fully mature Web three native uh, attribution solutions to come to market, uh, we're really focused on like an insights layer and having our data engineering team kind of fill gaps and do those joins manually. You know, to start and autom- automating those flows. So you know, when we when we start working with a game. Uh, we can say, okay, cool. Well, how you know how how are you tracking at a user account level? What is your existing attribution stack? And then we'll basically go in. You know, what we do have automated is the reporting once we make the join, but we're doing some amount of manual work to piece these things together. You know, once you know solutions like you know what Justin's team is building, like like Spindle, like some of the other Web three native, I think that part of our work will become less important. Um, but then once you have that data, you know. It, a lot of it rhymes with with Web two stuff of like predicting LTVs, uh, you know, measuring ROAS. 
yada, yada. So that's like one area we're really focused on is like bridge solutions there. The other is for this early stage partnerships marketing. Now that we have some proof of concept, established a playbook, how can we automate like, you know, generation of Discord tracking codes? How can we automate um, measurements around which communities have joined, the quality of those communities um, and launching like a Web3 native partnerships marketing module? Like our, we always just build the stuff that we want to use. So like we're in the process of like, cool, we know what we want. We're prototyping that. There's not an existing solution. Um, so the, I'd say those are the two parts, you know, how, how can we do web two style marketing for the performance piece? And then how can we make kind of some new bespoke, uh, tools and automated process for partnerships marketing, which has a more prominent role in web three. Justin. Yeah, we've definitely seen, um, well, one to, to Warren's point as well, at this point in time, we need core infrastructure like attribution, but also messaging, um, mm. some web three native ad platform. I mean, web three native. Uh, communications platforms to come about in order to do some of the things that are a little bit more traditional, like Web3 uh, ad networks. Um, what we've seen from this map, at least, is by far the most builders started in or are still in the analytics space to some degree, um, though a lot of the elements of our map um, you know, have some natural overlap. And I think that's also due to the natural maturity of the market today is everyone, everyone that's building some kind of like Web3 growth, Web3 marketing tool is trying to solve a slew of different problems for each of the companies that they're involved with. So they're probably trying to take on some community automation, some analytics, some rewards, all in one platform. And obviously, we know like as the market matures, people double down into like one specific area. But right now, everyone's trying to tackle everything on behalf of their 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 clients. Um, we've seen CRM as a as a space in a category has has been the fastest growing segment in the last couple of months, um, and I think that that's because uh, for two reasons that I think about. One, a lot of these companies started in the community automation space when like community was like all the rage during the bull market. Um, and as some of the things that we talked about earlier of like the real power of communities is like not that easy to measure. Um, and the things that are easy to measure um, aren't that interesting to look at in terms of like data. I think a lot of these companies that were community automation started pivoting to CRM. I think they probably pivoted for that reason, part one, and they probably also pivoted because like when you think about from like a VC standpoint, like who's the winner of community automation? Like it's like, who knows? Like community automation, community like growth is like the new thing. So there's no like giant like behemoth gorilla player yet to look to and say like, I'm going to be the this of community automation. When you look at CRM, then you're like, I'm going to be the Salesforce of Web3. I'm going to be the HubSpot of Web3. And suddenly your like value prop and value add to investors becomes a lot more exciting. So I think that's another reason why a lot of these teams have started pivoting into the CRM space, um, because it's also something that you can do now to a degree. It'll definitely be helped uh, helped by messaging and, and attribution infrastructure, but it's still solving a need today um, that certainly exists even without that infrastructure in place. Justin, I, that's really interesting. So does Web3 CRM slash community automation, is that basically like wallet-centered uh, CRM profiles plus Web3 channel marketing automation? I think that that's where we're headed, where a lot of community automation started was really like, how do we do your like Discord analytics, Discord right, automation, right. those types of things. And then as the space has matured, they're starting to like add in on-chain data to like complete those profiles. And that's when they move sort of more into the CRM space than just like pure, like we're going to help you with your Discord analytics. Well, I would actually love to get Warren and, and Justin's thoughts on two things. There's, um, I'm seeing a lot of like um, quest-based 
um, kind of growth tooling uh, being built and being pitched. Um, and I've also seen one or two like soulbound token based um, growth projects as well. Are you guys seeing much of that in market? What are your reactions to those things? Yeah, I can start there. We we just launched a um, a, a partner who was doing doing exactly this, um, and it, there's both a cost and a, a benefit. Like on one end, we saw uh, at first glance, like by having sort of a, a, a quest based system and soulbound NFT that'd be earned before you could get access to certain benefits uh, in the project or even just being part of the allow list. A lot of people just shunned it. It's almost like analysis paralysis, like this is extra complexity. I don't have time for this stuff, especially in the bear market. But what once we found was like, once we lowered kind of the entry point and made it easier for people to start getting involved, um, it really helped with engagement of people actually, you know, similar to free to play, like at the count of people doesn't matter. It's like, what is, what is the quality and activity level of, of those people? So we've seen those kind of quest-based uh, systems have a lot of benefit there, but it kind of hurts your top of funnel if it's not really refined. All right. Um, well, I think we are coming close to time here and I want to respect your guys' time. So we're going to have to wrap it up there. We had, there was a lot more I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about airdropping into, into wallets, like as a, as an ad tactic. We didn't talk about that. I'm super curious about if that works or not. Um, but we'll have to come back and, uh, you guys are welcome back anytime. This was an amazing, uh, conversation. I learned a lot. Uh, hopefully our listeners learned a lot too. And, uh, TLDR, we're so early. I know the cliche is, is, you know, cliche is there, but it's so true. It's so true across the board um, in terms of, of where we're at as, a, as an industry. So, um, yeah, we're going to wrap it up there. I want to say a huge thank you to Quinn, uh, Justin, Warren. Um, thank you for coming. Uh, thank you for your insights. It's been a real pleasure. Um, some leading minds here. Uh, we're going to have links in the show notes to everything you guys are doing. Um, so be sure to check it out. And so I just want to say big thank you to Quinn. Oh, definitely. Thank you very much, Nika. Big thank you to Justin. Thanks so much. It was fun. And thank you to Warren. Anytime, Nico. This was great. Loved hanging out with y'all. All right. And also a big thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, we will be back next week with uh, more interviews, more insights, more analysis from the weird and wonderful world of Web3. Uh, until next time, friends, stay crypto curious and feel free to send me any questions, guest recommendations, any comments. My email is nico at novic.co. And you can always find me on Twitter at nicothefin. DMs always open. And with that, until next time. 